1: Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Francesca Levy. Laura Carlson is out. It's day 119 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story. The virus still plagues many countries, but in the six months or so since it first emerged in humans, we have learned a lot about how to treat it. That knowledge may help us save many more lives than in the early days of the pandemic. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. U.S. President Donald Trump is amping up pressure to send kids back to school regardless of the safety risks. Today, he blasted the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention after they set guidelines for reopening schools. In a tweet, Trump called the guidelines, quote, very tough and expensive, and said he would meet with the CDC. Earlier, Trump said he may cut funding if schools do not open before the November election, saying keeping them closed benefits the Democrats. The country's largest public school system, New York City, announced today that students would probably return to physical schools part-time this fall. Mayor Bill de Blasio said he anticipates a blended learning program with students in class two to three days a week. New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo said a decision on schools would be announced the first week of August. Melbourne, Australia's second largest city, goes into lockdown today for the second time in four months. The country's missteps in handling travelers returning from overseas and the complacency of a few neighborhoods tipped the city back into the danger zone. Melbourne is now responsible for the vast majority of Australia's new COVID-19 cases in the past month. Even as life in most of the nation returns to normal, Melbourne's five million people will be back under stay-at-home orders that were first imposed in March. And finally, Brooks Brothers filed for bankruptcy. The company was the latest victim of the pandemic's hit to clothing sales. Neiman Marcus Group, J. Crew Group, and John Varvatos Enterprises have all filed for bankruptcy since the virus took hold.
2: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
3: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: And now for today's main story. Almost 200 days after the first coronavirus cases were reported in central China, health workers and researchers have raced to learn more about the brand new pathogen. As many as 1,000 COVID-related research papers are being released daily. Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale reports that that research and the experience of frontline healthcare workers is informing better ways to diagnose, prevent, and treat the disease. And it's helping to save more lives.
4: On April 6th in New York, from a personal experience, I think that was the worst day uh, hospital-wise.
5: That's Associate Professor Sonya Yelich, an 18-year veteran critical care doctor currently working at the Columbia University Irving Medical Center.
4: We were really, really uh, very busy and the hospital was full of patients with, uh, specific, with covid And I was working in the intermediate care unit or step-down unit, which normally has eight to 10 patients. And that day we had more than 60 patients. At some point we had 68 patients. So that's approximately eightfold increase.
5: Many patients struggled to breathe. The most critical were transferred to a pop-up intensive care unit, but others also required more invasive respiratory support.
4: Despite all our efforts, we uh, were uh, stuck with uh, several patients who needed to be intubated.
5: But there was no way Sonia and her colleagues could intubate all of them at once. She had to buy time. So she made the decision to do something unorthodox, something for which there are no guidelines or protocols.
4: We've been hearing about this technique um, in the beginning of April from friends and some colleagues about this uh, proning, which means uh, putting people to lay on their stomach um, among patients who are not intubated. That means they are not on a respirator, not on a mechanical ventilation. And that's an unconventional treatment. There are no guidelines on uh, such therapy in non-intubated patients.
5: Feeling she had nothing to lose, Sonia went ahead anyway. Laying on the stomach improves blood circulation in the upper portion of the lung increasing the volume of oxygen and carbon dioxide that can be exchanged. It also decreases pressure around the lung and can help clear secretions from the airways.
4: So we tried that and the first few patients, I remember the first three patients, really had a dramatic improvement in uh, their uh, oxygenation, which is measured from a finger by pulse oximetry.
5: That's a small clip-like device that attaches to the patient's finger.
4: We were very encouraged by that. And also the clinical staff, nurses and nurse practitioners, as well as hospitalists, they are really surprised how well this works. So uh, we said, okay, let's just see uh, who else is needing the most oxygen. So we decided to do uh, this positioning only in those most severe cases who would otherwise be intubated immediately.
5: Sonia got approval to track these patients and report what happened to them in a study. Her paper was published last month in the Journal of the American Medical Association. She and her colleagues found that if they were able to get patients' blood oxygen levels back into the acceptable or normal range, then there was a 46% reduction in the probability of them being intubated.
4: We were hoping that this would be helpful to other healthcare providers treating COVID patients.
5: The approach hasn't yet been tested in a large randomized controlled trial, But it's a reminder that... Necessity
4: is the mother of invention.
5: In the absence of a cure, doctors like Sanya are left relying in part on trial and error. But months into the most destructive pandemic in a century, their collective experience is starting to build a framework of how best to cope with coronavirus patients. In April, Gilead's antiviral remdesivir, now approved with the brand name Veklury, was shown to speed recovery time in COVID patients. Last month, the inexpensive corticosteroid dexamethasone was found to reduce deaths by a third among patients receiving mechanical ventilation. Doctors are also routinely administering heparin and other anticoagulants to prevent dangerous blood clots from forming in the veins of the critically ill. While COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, we now know that it has the capacity to cause diverse manifestations. Um, but little by little, we discovered a new sign, a new symptoms of the disease. This is Dr Sylvie Briant, the World Health Organization's Director for Global Infectious Hazard Preparedness. Now we
0: know that uh, there is really a lot, a lot of uh, possibilities for this virus to attack the human uh, uh, body
5: the quest is to create a toolbox that will enable doctors to provide better care for the full range of COVID patients, Sylvie says. The WHO is collating data from countries to identify the crucial elements that reduce the proportion of COVID patients who die from their illness. These include how health systems triage COVID patients, how they protect those vulnerable to more serious complications, and the speed with which they provide intensive care.
0: It's not only what you do. Uh, sometimes uh, at this level, there is no difference, but it's really how you do it. What is the particular point that, that makes uh, the difference?
3: We are in the midst of our surge now. We are, are We have exponential growth in Arizona. The daily case rates are going up. Our hospital admissions are going up. So we are in the midst of it right now.
5: The more COVID patients Dr. Jared Mosier sees in his hospital's intensive care unit in Tucson, the more he says he's convinced that saving lives comes down to protecting the lungs of those with acute respiratory distress syndrome. It's an inflammatory condition doctors refer to simply as ARDS. Most patients need breathing support, but too little or too much air pressure and volume can damage the lungs further.
3: And so I, I look at all of those things uh, and tinker with the ventilator for a good while every day to try to find that balance. And, and to me, that is the thing that will save the most lives in, in this disease is just excellent critical care management of ARDS.
5: Jared is also an associate professor of emergency medicine at the University of Arizona. When I spoke with him in late June, his hospital had just expanded its intensive care facility to 130 beds with plans for more if needed. He says he's laid hands on more than 100 COVID patients over the past four months or so. I asked him if he thought better treatments were leading to better survival.
3: God, I hope so. I think think that's the case, but it's very hard to answer that question when you're in the thick of it. I, I hope so. Some days I think, oh, we're actually getting pretty good at this. And other days I think this is demoralizing.
5: That's the humbling thing about the pandemic. The more we know, the more we understand that there's so much more we don't yet know. While researchers, doctors and health authorities are racing to come up with better ways to fight COVID-19, in the absence of an effective vaccine, the best way to fight the pandemic remains avoiding catching the coronavirus in the first place.
1: That was Jason Gale in Melbourne. And that's it for our show. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and me, Francesca Levy. Bloomberg's head of podcasts is me.